Cause it's Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? It is I'm Jason Wright, host of The Jason Wright Show, where it is, in fact, the best Friday ever. This is the episode that I bring to you every Friday just to kind of put a bow on the week. So I hope that you have had a fantastic week. But if you haven't, then hopefully you found The Jason Wright Show, best Friday ever. And at least right now, you're starting to feel a little bit better. That's the hope. I cannot believe We have almost another month down. That's crazy. So here's what I want to talk about today. All right, so last week I gave a little bit of a motivation type uh, uh, spill, if you will, on being willing to ask the question, what if? And the response to that episode has been really cool. It was, it was, the feedback was great. In fact, uh, uh, it, it, it was just, it was kind of, uh, it kind of surprised me. Uh, the, the downloads crushed it and the feedback from DMs and emails was really uh, inspiring. So I hope that if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's Best Friday Ever, go back and check that out. I went to, uh, I went out to NASA a week ago and just came back inspired by ingenuity and what the human spirit is capable of, which wants, which is why I want to bring up the first topic of the day, which is this. It is Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Now, I'm going to take a different approach on this because I try my best to st- uh, stay out of the political waters on the Jason Wright Show. Uh, I do have very strong opinions on such matters, but I did want to bring up a little bit about why I like Elon Musk and why I like the idea of him buying Twitter. So, and it's going to tie into last week's episode in in this way. So I made the point that I think that so many people these days are afraid to ask a very simple question, which is what if, what if, and if ever there were a muse for all of us, at this point in time, for someone who's not afraid to ask that question, what if? It is Elon Musk. He is willing to ask the question, what if we decided to go to Mars? What if we decided to make an all-electric car? What if I built my own rocket? And what if I were to challenge NASA? Now, some people hate him for all those things, um, and, and that's fine. But I think that If anything, if you can get past the fact that he is the world's richest man and all of the the thing the reasons why the left now hates him, the right adores him, libertarians love him, uh, just kind of take all that and put it aside for a moment. And I want you to think about this. Elon Musk at least has been willing throughout the course of his life to say, what if? The guy puts so few boundaries on what he thinks he may or may not be able to accomplish. And now with more private wealth than any human on earth, 
I can't imagine how big those what ifs are going to get. And as it relates to this deal, you know, how many people have you heard over the last year or two bitching and moaning on both sides of the aisle about social media, free speech versus censorship and ideas being shut down? And then you've got a guy like Elon Musk that probably, like all of us have at one point or another, griped about Twitter. I'm not on Twitter very often. I think it's a dumpster fire. And I do try to have a little bit of a presence for the show and everything. But ultimately, it just it doesn't get much traction for me for the for the topics that are out there. But I, I, I got to imagine there was some point where he just decided to go, well, you know, hey, what if I just bought Twitter? And that's where it all started. And that's where it all starts is this ability and this willingness to just ask the question, what if? And I hope, my hope is this, that there is more free speech as a result of this acquisition, that um, all ideas are, um, are heard. And here's the thing, for those who are concerned that this is going to unleash the ability for hate speech, which in and of itself is a rather subjective term. What you deem as hate speech, I might deem as just a something stupid you said. Um, but not to minimize anything, the bottom line is it, it, it exposes it exposes people for who they are. And if you are someone that is dumb enough to show all your cards to the world on social media, then you kind of deserve to whatever comes your way, whatever comes back on you. So I think that the the good thing is whenever the more information we have out there about who people really are, if they're willing to share that, then then we know what we're dealing with, right? So you know, just because someone has to pretend to be a good person uh, because so that they can maintain a presence on social media doesn't really mean they're a good person. What happens to me, it can o- often serve as an antiseptic to where they actually put their ideas out there. And if they get shut down and slapped back or someone makes a coherent argument as to, hey, you are not, you are not right about this thing. You are, you are incorrect, then that gives an opportunity for this person who heretofore had these ideas and thought they were right because maybe they exist in an echo chamber to change their mind. So, but, you know, whatever the case may be, as it relates to free speech and all that, I'm a, I'm a free speech purist. I think that, um, I think we're adults. Uh, and we need to be able to hear things we don't want to hear. And one of the things that I say a lot is once you know exactly who you are and you are grounded in who you are, then you are not going to be swayed by the words, the insults, the quote-unquote hate speech of others because it's going to be meaningless to you. I mean, if a bunch of people that you don't respect anyway uh, hurl insults at you, then what the hell do you care? Uh, As a matter of fact, it's funny, and this is kind of a good segue into one of the things I want to talk about. Uh, I was just doing a a lesson for the six-week Vitruvian Challenge on mindfulness, and I was talking about the Buddha. And I'm not Buddhist, but I do appreciate some of the teachings teachings of, of Buddha. And one of the things that Buddha uh, talked about was the fact that he, he, he gave an example of one time he came to this city, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, recalling the story that essentially this individual was hurling insults at the Buddha, and he would not respond. And then finally, he said, if you hurl the insults at me, but I do not respond. In other words, I don't take them up. If they just fall to the ground, then who do they actually belong to? His point being is that 
it's up to us as to whether or not we give power to the words of others. You see what I'm saying? They are just a they're just an individual spewing a bunch of crap based on the the maps of meaning that they put on their words and their and their ideas. But the bottom line is if it doesn't match up with your worldview, if you know it to not be true, and and indeed you may not even as it relates to Twitter, especially, these are people you for the most part don't even freaking know. And so if they're they're spewing a bunch of crap and you know, well, that's not true. That's not who I am. I'm not a racist. I'm not a homophobe. I'm not a this or a that, or I don't hate, I don't think everyone that's a Republican is a fascist. I, you know, whatever the case may be, if you know that and you are grounded in that truth, then you should stand firm and understand that, you know, we as adults or the, the old sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That has been thrown out the window. And I think as a result of that, what's happened is there's this self-censorship that needs to needs to be corrected so that people look. I think, you know, Abraham Lincoln once said it's better to be silent and uh, be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I like a platform, frankly, where people can open their mouth and remove all doubt. I think that's good for them. I think for people to be censored and stay in a hole with all their stupid, idiotic thoughts to themselves uh, can be dangerous because they can; those thoughts can be nurtured, whether by either the echo chamber in which they exist or the, 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 their self-fulfilling prophecies, whatever the case may be. But when they hurl this idiocy out in the public square, then they can be uh, at least dealt with. And so I think that's a good deal. But all that to bring this plane to a land, I want to say that I got to admire the fact that Elon Musk is willing to pose the question, what if, in a very big way, and it seems that he just keeps doing it over and over and over. And look, you know, I have no aspirations to be the wealthiest man in the world. I don't pursue things for the sake of money and money only anyway. Um, But I tell you what, I hope all of us can look at that and whether you love or hate Elon Musk or you could care less about anything he does, I hope you will look and see the value in what can happen and how the market and just a whole host of other human human beings will reward this attitude of being able to say, what if? Just have the courage to ask that question. And I told you that the, the Buddha story was a good segue. So let's talk a little bit about something that I have been working on that is now coming to fruition. All right, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you can see right there the logo or this little image I've got. Where is it? There we go. For uh, the Vitruvian Challenge, the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. Okay, so this is my first six-week immersion into the Improve Always and Always lifestyle. As you know, that is the motto for the Jason Wright Show. I am obsessed with self-improvement, and it doesn't just mean physically. I could care less about being jacked and ripped and shredded and all that. Uh, I only think that being lean or whatever is a result of an overall healthy, uh, healthy diet and healthy exercise or whatever. But more than anything, what I want to do is try to inspire others as well as, you know, practice what I preach, a life of mindfulness, of emotional health, of good nutrition, of good physical exercise habits. I want to do these things that I think can make me a more well-rounded person. So 
that's why it's called the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. You'll hear in a lot of my, my speaking, my writing, my newsletter is called the Vitruvian Letter. That was inspired by uh, the uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, Vitruvian Man that he drew, which was his attempt to draw a man in perfect proportion. Well, I loved the idea of having perfect proportion. You know, we're never going to reach it. But I think so often we end up being so um, so linear in our focus on one thing or another. For example, look at how many people, going back to the physical aspect, look at how many bodybuilders in the past have destroyed every other aspect of their health for the vain pursuit of getting that perfect chiseled, you know, huge uh, look or whatever, or someone that is so obsessed with making money that it comes at the sacrifice of their family. Uh, Someone is so obsessed with being liked or being accepted that their faith is compromised. I want to try to create an environment and an ecosystem where people come together to learn how to be in perfect proportion. And look, I don't by any means think I've got it all figured out, not at all. But what I do think are there some there are some general things that are universal to all of us as to how we can be better people. And so the six-week Vitruvian Challenge is a week each of topics that I think at least get people on a path to ultimate perfect proportion or, or, or on the track to start a lifestyle that helps foster that proportion. We cover things like mindfulness. I start out with mindsets, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. First, I define those terms. What does that mean? And then I challenge my students to try to figure out for themselves, what is a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? If you have a fixed mindset, how can you shift over to more of a growth mindset? Then I go into a habit forming week. This is a way to scientifically and action-based uh, and with an action-based methodology to learn how to not only create good, sustainable habits, but to also break bad habits. I go through an entire week of this, and then I go into an immune-centric nutrition portion. This is where you understand and you learn about gut health and about raising your, raising and boosting your immune system. And the cool thing I like, the thing I really, you know, not to pat myself on the back here, but the thing that I really like about the immune-centric health protocol, which, by the way, uh, was developed by my mentor and friend and author, Joel Green, in his book, The Immunity Code. This is where this was first all presented to me. It's this idea that if we can get our gut health right, it's then we start there, we raise our immune system, then we can live a life that is not, we're not burdened by counting calories and, and avoiding all these foods at all times, and if to, even to the extent that if you are lactose intolerant, well, if you can get your gut biome corrected properly, you can probably get rid of some of those things. And so it's just a deep, deep dive into an immune-centric health, eating, and, and exercise, and it's, it's, it's built for a couple of things primarily. Uh, the Immune-Centric Week centers around youthfulness and slowing the age, aging process and also your immune system. So that is uh, so that's what you get whenever you uh, when you dive into the immune centric uh, portion, and then I go from there into an entire week devoted to mindfulness. I think one of the single best practices that I have adopted over the last I guess it's probably been four or five years, maybe maybe a little bit more than that, 
is meditation and mindfulness. And so what I do is I don't teach people how to meditate. What I do is I go through just this idea of this is why it is important. I talk about some of the neuroscience behind it and some of the benefits of meditation and the benefits that it has beyond just you know just calming your mind and putting you in at least 10 minutes or even two minutes of a week of just sitting in perfect silence where the goal is to do nothing, to think about nothing. I talk about the ancestral aspect to this. As a matter of fact, I believe every week touches on our ancestral design and how in, how to get that that ancestral design of our body and our mind, our brain, our, our chemicals, and, and the way our body was developed is to to get us working in unison with though with that development. I just had Dr. Gus Vickery, an incredible integrative medical professional out in um, North Carolina on the program. And one of the things he said was, you know, anything that has a design, anything that has been designed for a certain purpose, that design must be honored. And so when we can better understand how our brain and body work, how it has been developed for one primary purpose, which is survival. When you can understand that, you can then better use this body and mind that we currently possess for a habitat that it really was not designed for. There's a big difference between being, you know, the the the, cave, the guys living in caves and the hunter-gatherer society that once existed that our bodies were developed for and this very uber first world modern society in which we kind of find ourselves in now. So I talk about, I bring all of that through the six weeks and then finally we go and actually go into some breath work, which is I think a, a very vital part of success. And then I talk about goals and inputs. I want people to understand how to create their own, what Nick Saban refers to as the process. Well, that's what I try to help people do. You know, we can, it's, it's very important that we have goals. I am a huge goal setter. I am constantly setting goals, but once you set the goal, it just needs to be kind of like an afterthought. It's, it's out there. You really can't control the outcome of that. Going back to Nick Saban in the process, Nick Saban, whenever he starts out a season at the University of Alabama, he really, he knows, we all know, it's no secret, his goal is to win the national championship. But there are so many factors in that that are beyond Nick Saban's control. So therefore, what Saban does is control that which he can, which is the first seven seconds off the ball, making sure that is perfect each and every time, making sure each practice is perfect, making sure that everything is executed. John Wooden, the legendary coach of the UCLA Bruins, this was his methodology. You can actually go. He had note cards where he had every single minute of every single practice planned out down to a T. And as a result, he rarely, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that played for him, of course, at the time, he was Lou Alcindor, he actually said that, you know, Coach Wooden rarely ever talked about wins or losses or scores. Instead, what he what he measured success on was the success of execution in that game. So his idea was, if I have focused on those things which I can control, those little inputs, 
to the best of my ability, and I've got my players to buy in, and they are doing everything in their power to execute on those inputs, then the goal will take care of itself. You see, a goal is nothing but a rear view indicator. It, it, it's, it's a lagging indicator. What we want to do is we want to look at those leading indicators, and this applies to relationships. This applies to this uh, um, has to do with nutrition and good health. If you want to lose weight and you set a goal to lose 20 pounds, well, that's great, and you can remember that all, every day and think about that every day, but what's more important is keeping yourself accountable to the goal of walking every single day, of doing some form of physical exercise every single day, reducing your caloric intake intake every single day. Those small little inputs, that's what's going to help you reach the goal. And then finally, the last week, which I think is very critical, I named it, it sounds kind of dark, but it's called eulogy. It's where I, because there's this common theme that I try to bring throughout the entire six-week Vitruvian challenge that deals with who do you really want to be as a human being when it's all said and done, and you're, because we're all born with a death sentence. That's just a fact. You and I are not getting out of here alive. And so I, I, I challenge the, the, the participants to start to write their eulogy, to decide, and it goes, it ties all the way back to the very first week of the six-week Petruvian challenge, I want them to be challenged to think of how do you want to be remembered, but more importantly, who are you? What is your why? What means most to you? What is that why in your life that is going to allow you to overcome almost any how? So, the six-week Vitruvian Challenge, you can learn more about it at jasonrightnow.com. There's a little blue tab there. You can read about it. Uh, I'm actually taking applications for the next class right now. We're about to finish up here in the next couple of weeks the very first um, uh, founding class of the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. And so they were there. this is a group, uh, a cohort that was kind enough to jump in uh, as the first one. So we've, we're working out the bugs. I think I should have the—this is going to be actually delivered in an app. Uh, right now, I've got it set up, and I'm going to show you this, as a matter of fact. So right now, this is kind of what it looks like. And let's see, let's go to, so you can see here, this is what it will look like. And those of you who are listening and you're not watching on the YouTube channel, I, I'd appreciate if you if you hopped over to YouTube and checked this out around minute number 22 to kind of see what this looks like. But you go here, and here is the Vitruvian Challenge, and you can see all the different days here. And so you'll be able to have this actually on your phone to take the classes. There's the community where we actually have uh, the ability to talk to one another, encourage one another, and I can send you guys direct messages if you should take the, uh, the course. Here's where we can, I, I have a tracking set up where uh, for minutes of meditation, so we'll have some competition to see um, who all's actually in the, you know, in the class and how they're doing on their meditation and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I'm really proud of this. Um, and right now it's only web based, but like I said, it's going to, it's going to be uh, pretty soon. It's going to actually be, um, get back to here. It's actually going to be in an app form. I'm, I'm working with Apple right now to put the Vitruvian Lab into the Apple Store. So you'll be able to download that. And the cool thing about it is every time I develop a new course, it's going to appear in the uh, in the updated app. So once you download the app, then you know there'll be days whenever and I'll 
post an announcement, obviously, and you'll be able to look. And if there's a new course that you might want to take, I'm actually going to take uh, a lot of these courses from the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. Uh, in particular, I know the immune-centric health course will end up being its own standalone course that will be most likely at least six weeks because there's just no way uh, you can cover and do justice to all of the information that you need uh, to get to, to, to truly get a hold of this in just a one-week uh, course that's tied into these other things. So anyway, I would really appreciate if you go to jasonrightnow.com and if you want to get into the six-week Vitruvian Challenge, there is an application process. Look, here's the thing. It's not like you're having to take a test or a logic test or anything like that. What I do is I take the application to find out exactly where you are, and and then we set up an interview with me personally. I want to make sure that this is right for you. I don't want to just take somebody's money and then go, well, I got you, you know, do what you will with it. I actually want to make sure, I want to make sure that this is something that is, in fact, right for you. So you fill out the application. If it looks like uh, we, we're a match, then we'll do a quick little, um, We'll do a quick little interview just to kind of say, hey, here's what the six weeks is going to look like, and then we will go from there. All right, so now let's just keep moving on. All right, so this is like a little mini book review that um, I, I've got to give you. Um, I am in the middle of, or actually, yeah, right about in the middle of a book. Um, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. I freaking love this guy. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. And I'll be honest with you. I have, you know, the Foo Fighters came out about the time I was in, I think, a freshman in college. And I wasn't the biggest fan in the world. Uh, But as I get older and I've listened to more and more of their music, I am just blown away. I love the Foo Fighters. And Dave Grohl's book, The Storyteller, is so phenomenal, and I highly, highly recommend this book to anyone. And you don't even have to be a Dave Grohl or a Foo Fighters fan to appreciate this great book. Um, There's a story in there that I love, and again, trying to kind of kill two birds with one stone to tell you about a great book. And I'm actually going to do a full-blown book review on this whenever I finish. There's a scene in the book, and you, and you learn so much. Like many people, if you if you're a rock fan like I am, and I love Metallica, they're my favorite, uh, I guess, heavy metal band of all time. And the thing I remember whenever I first saw, I guess it was their old VH1 behind the music or something, some documentary um, about Metallica. They talked about how they were so broke that they literally had nothing to put on their sandwiches. They would literally just eat like two pieces of white bread and they called them like hand sandwiches because there was nothing but their hands and then the white bread, that's it. And listening to or reading Dave Grohl document his journey from a kid from Virginia, DC metro area, who quits high school and ends up with with a, with his first band, Scream, touring the world with a $7.50 per diem and not having any money to the point where he's eating three 99 cent, wait, excuse me, three corny dogs for 99 cents. I didn't want y'all to think that it was like $3 worth of corny dogs. No, he would eat three corny dogs for that cost him a total of 99 cents per day for 
breakfast, miss lunch, and then have the two for dinner so that after the full day, he would have a little more sustenance waiting for him at night. To hear the story of going from that to Nirvana and then to the legend that he is today is nothing short of remarkable. And here is one of the coolest stories that uh, comes from the from the book. So he's touring with Scream, and they are some, I think they're in Toronto, Canada. And they end up uh, playing this, they're about to play this this club at somewhere in Toronto, Canada. And, and Dave's walking in, he's setting up his drums and stuff, and he notices that they're putting all these posters up around for Iggy Pop. Well, you know, Dave was a big punk rock fan, and if you know anything about punk rock, well, Iggy Pop is like the godfather of punk. And, and so... Dave's looking around. He sees him putting up all these posters for Iggy Pop, and he goes over to the bartender. And he said, "What's going on?" He said, "Well, Iggy Pop is going to be here with his record label later, signing some autographs and doing a little promotion for his next album." And and Dave's like, oh, "You've got to be kidding me! Freaking Iggy Pop is going to be here! And, oh, I can't believe this!" And so at the time, he and his bandmates they were traveling around um, in this old Dodge van, and so. He go and he and the and the by the way the the bartender says yeah you guys are gonna have to clear out you know and he's like begging he's like oh come on please is there anything I can do and what about my drums he's like your drums will be fine he said you guys it's record label folks only you guys just have to stay out until he's done then you come in you can play your play your set well Dave goes out to the van he tells all the all his guys and so they're sitting there like a bunch of little kids of course they practically were kids at the time Dave being the youngest in the band by I think like almost some five six years. Uh, I mean, he left high school when he was 17 years old to pursue this dream. So cool. And so anyway, they're looking and all of a sudden limo pulls up and out walks Iggy pop. And they're just, you know, God's mag. And they're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Well, eventually someone comes from outside the club and knocks on the, uh, on the, the door of the van and says, hey, which one of you is the drummer? And which and Dave describes, he's like, that's just something you never want to hear. Because usually that means that, you know, something's gone wrong. And it's like, oh, God, what the hell? And so he sheepishly says, well, that's, that's me. I'm here. And he says, hey, you want to play with Iggy Pop? And he's like, are you freaking kidding me? So Dave goes into this little club, and he meets Iggy Pop. And the two of them end up kind of just the, just playing, just kind of rehearsing. I guess Iggy had a guitar, and he's playing the drums. And and Dave goes, man, this is amazing. And then Iggy pops like, all right. He said, well, um, he said, so you're going to be back here at 6 o'clock. He's like, wait, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you're going to play with me, right? So Dave Grohl thinks he's just going to be playing like this little warm-up set with Iggy Pop. But instead, he's actually going to play that night. And he said, Oh my God. And then he remembers his buddy Skeeter, who is like one of his best friends and he's in the van. He's like, well, do you need a bass player? He said, you got one? He said, yeah. So he runs out to the van, he gets Skeeter and they end up getting to play with Iggy Pop that night. So this kid from, from the DC area, from Virginia, who has dropped out of school, his father basically disowns him for it. His mom is as cool as she can be. She supports it. He goes all over, living on $7.50 a day, just, I mean, pouring his, I mean, literally going hungry to play. But here is what I think is the, the real underlying message of this story. The reason why he was able to be in the same place as one of his rock heroes 
is because he put himself out there. He took the chance. He threw himself out into the universe to see what would happen. He got into the arena that Theodore Roosevelt so beautifully talked about. Yeah, I was listening to Noah Kagan the other day, and I got to tell you, I was a little bit encouraged. I mean, I tell you, and, and I know some of my buddies that, that are part of this story, they listen to the show. And so listen up, guys. I've been wanting to talk to you individually about this, but haven't had the chance. So I'm listening to Noah Kagan on James Altucher's program. Now, you got to understand, James Altucher, I don't know how many millions of downloads he does um, every week, but it's, it's substantial. And Noah Kagan, his, uh, I ought to look that up. You know, let's look that up right now. How many subscribers has, I'm going to give my buddy Mitchell Cohen all the credit for all of these. How many subscribers does Noah have? Okay, on YouTube, Noah Kagan has 368,000 subscribers, okay? And just, he's killing it. He was one of the first guys in at Facebook. He's killing it on social media. Um, AppSumo is a company he founded that's just also doing great things. So anyway, every measure of success, Noah's crushing it. Right. And he was on the James Altucher program, who, again, Altucher, New York Times bestselling author. You guys have heard me talk about him a lot. Just an absolute. He's kind of like a modern day uh, renaissance man. He's he, I think I would actually call him a polymath. I mean, the dude is just really brilliant and does a lot of cool things. And Noah is talking to James about the importance of just being available and getting out there. And he credited his meeting James Altucher for that very reason. I don't remember, I don't think it was South by Southwest, but it was some other conference or something that the two of them met. And now here, Noah, 363,000 subscribers on YouTube later, James Altucher, multiple New York Times bestselling books, an incredibly uh, popular uh, podcast later. Here they are, and they're talking about, and this is before either of them had really, you know, blasted off into the social media world. Well, now here's where it gets cool because there's a second generation behind those folks. I actually have communicated a little bit with Noah Kagan, just DMs through Instagram, but I've become good friends with his producer, Mitchell Cohen, who you all have heard on the show. And and also in that little in that little circle is my buddy James Quandall, which you've heard of, who I first heard on the James Altucher program. And so, if you're trying to keep that little uh, that little uh, podcaster family tree or whatever in your mind, don't worry about it. Here's the point: the only reason why I know those folks is because. I threw myself out there to do this show. And look, you're not supposed to be the hero of your own story. There's no hero here involved. I'm just telling you this. If there's one thing that I've done right, it's that I've thrown my voice out there and some, and and right now, if you're listening to this, it's landing on your eardrum. And it first started by just getting out there. And so now let's tie that to you. If I had to tell you one thing, going back to the, what if I did this? Don't, Start with that huge goal in mind. That have, have that. I guess maybe maybe let me reset that. Have that goal in mind, but more importantly, once you get the goal, just be willing to take the first step. And I, I cannot, I can't say it more firmly. The key to being successful at anything is to first have the courage to step out. People may think you are stupid. People may think you're wasting time. But let's go back to my analogy with the Buddha. 
If you know yourself and you know what you're after and you know your mission, then to hell with everybody else's perception of what you've got going on. They probably have no idea what you think about and you dream about when you lay your head on your pillow at night and what you're thinking about whenever you get out of bed in the morning. They have no idea. And I can tell you this, they have no, no concerns about either of those things either. There's a reason why people are always 10, 20 year overnight successes. So my encouragement and the reason why I tell the, the, the thing that, that just hit me about Dave Grohl is that he took that huge chance to put himself out there. And that was, that was the first step. That's what it was that led to him. And look, he didn't win some damn contest. He didn't win some drumming contest that said, Hey, if you perform well and everything was all mapped out and perfect, right? That said, if you do this and you do this and you do this, then you will be able to play a set with, as the drummer for Iggy pop that did not exist. The only thing he did was threw himself out there and then everything got arranged so that the same place, the same time was Dave Grohl, now rock legend and now and for years, punk rock legend, Iggy Pop. So I hope that if you listen to this, that the big takeaway will be, be willing to put yourself out there. Go for whatever your dream, whatever your goal, get after it. It's worth it. But the first step is just throwing yourself out there. Get in the arena. All right. Well, I hope you had a great week. Like I said, when I started this, I hope you had a great week. I hope that if you didn't, that this made at least end a little better. Please go out to jasonrightnow.com and subscribe to the Vitruvian Letter. I would really appreciate it. That's my newsletter where I talk about all the things I'm doing to try to improve always and always. And thank you for listening. And until we meet again, go out and get just get out there. Go do something and ask, what if? You'll be surprised at what you might find. I'm Jason. It's Jason Wright Show. I am out.